This episode of The Front Lounge with Kongos is brought to you by Kongos and their brand new song, Pay for the Weekend. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll hear it here exclusively for one day. And then tomorrow, make sure you tell all your friends to go check it out on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, everywhere else you find music. Welcome to episode 34 of The Front Lounge with Kongos. Today we've got an extra special guest. We've been trying to get him on here for a while. Brad Furman, also and more famously known as Beef Vegan. Literally right. the first person to play Kongos. And before we even introduce him, I want to just play something that you probably haven't heard in a while. And then we'll get to talking with Beef. And the TMI Top 5 is going down. You can vote on Facebook for the TMI Top 5. Now, I got an approach from a band yesterday. Mm-hmm. Melted my face off. Really? Literally melted my face off. I oh, swear yeah. to you, this band came out of nowhere to me, even though they were voted a best band by the Phoenix New Times last year. Oh. Yeah. Who is it? Do I get to know yet? Congos. Congos. Now, here's the story of Congos. Guys okay. There are four. <laughs> so that, we won't play the whole thing because it's like a five minute thing where Beef basically just says what, that we're the greatest band. Yeah, ever, yeah. I was, I was his ears. giving you the verbal handy. You know, <laughs> getting everyone else fluffed up too. This is before you even knew us. That's yeah. what's cool about it is we listen to, if we, if we heard you do that now, we'd be like, oh, fuck, he's you know, doing us a favor. But that right. was before we'd ever even met you. Right. So welcome, Beef, to the podcast. Good to have you on yeah, here. Yeah, it's good to finally be on the podcast. I'm excited. I remember exactly where I was when I got that email too, which is crazy, because uh, when I got the songs uh, from uh, Johnny, was uh, emailed me, and I was in a parking lot right down the street at a resort here after I set up a casino thing, mm -hmm. and you know, then I got the email and I played "Come With Me Now" first, and I was like, I listened to like thirty seconds before I immediately started emailing back. <laughs> You know, I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this, man? <laughs> yes, yeah, this is exactly what we're looking for. Because at the time, you know, everyone knows it now as uh, that song that was everywhere. But I never heard anything like that before. So I was stoked and I was like, I emailed him back like, yes, definitely. I'm putting that in the TMI Top 5 tomorrow. And then I listened to the rest of the song, which was great. And then I listened to the next song, which was I'm Only Joking. And then, like, 30 seconds in, I email back and, like, well, actually, I'm going to start with this one tomorrow. <laughs> I'll get to come with me now, too. Uh, because uh, I'm Only Joking, you know, sounded so uh, tribal. And, you know, they gave the African groove and everything. And that was a darker, more sinister song. And I always kind of gravitate towards the darker kind of songs that, like, the darker pop songs that make you smile like dark horse yeah you know you're yeah. like it's uh um well don't say we, we, <laughs> listen right here i'll bring it back and see this is why we uh, do the show like this i love it do you like this i do see what i'm saying and that's just one of the songs like there was three great songs just the three songs are like, hey, pick a single. And I'm like, I, I can't pick a single, man. <laughs> I didn't know what to do, so I went with I'm Only Joking. After listening to him, like, uh, I don't know, like 10 times. So what is that? And, you know, it's 2000, that was 2011 or something, yeah, it was right? April, it was. April 2011. So we said, we yeah. said he's the first person to play it. That's technically not true, but right. on that lunatic cycle, you were the, the first person to play those new songs and play them with commitment to where basically you gave us a Phoenix audience. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was the difference. That's the difference between what they're still doing now on different stations and even KWSS. 
um, and the difference between growing a, a fan base outside of the friend base yeah. is rotation. It really is repetitiveness. Like, and we really needed that because we had like, we were four brothers and we shared some of the same friends. So a lot of bands like got five members, they got five sets of friends to come to the gig. You can get 50 people there pretty easily. Yeah. The we're like, friend zone. yeah, we had like five friends between us. So we really needed that to, turn, right. to grow beyond that. And some bands get deceptively, think they're deceptively great just based off their huge friend zone or their friend base, right? Because they get like, you know, sell out 200 a person room easily just because they're the coolest bells at the ball or whatever. They know a lot of friends, they know a lot of hot chicks, so everyone goes to those shows. But at the end of the day, you strip that away. It's They're really not that good. Uh, it was the opposite with you guys, for sure. You guys were already doing that professional show. Yeah, no hot chicks. like an album. Zero hot chicks, except for your girlfriends when they would show, uh, which I think it was like five shows before I even met them. And so, yeah, like... Uh, that that was the difference there. So it was good. It was the first successful band that I played locally that I was able to see people were listening to me get stoked about and become fans about. And that yeah. was kind of like the turning point. I was like, oh, oh, this works. Then this works for both of us. Yeah. And that's so when we saw, right? You know, we, we poo pooed. Ra- when you don't get radio, you poo poo. You say right. it's fucking meaningless. And it, to be honest, it is less meaningful today than even five years ago. There's ways to make it, yeah, but radio still has a huge impact. It's, yeah, it's so we crazy. saw he started playing us, and then I think that summer we had a show at the Crescent Ballroom, mm-hmm. which is like 500, 550 cap or something like that, mm-hmm. and it sold out. And that was that blew our minds because we'd never even come close to doing anything like that. Right. And for us, that was like a sigh of relief. We're not totally crazy. This might be worth you know continuing because we were ready to give up not give up but we were like what the fuck is going on no one right no like, one's paying attention to us you're only hearing back from your friends and then the emails that you're sending out to whoever like agents or programmers and stuff are giving you the runaround like yeah this is great but i'm not going to do anything with but with it yeah. yeah if they even open up the email <laughs> if they well, even also, open yeah, it up the, email and i get why they don't open up the email sometimes you know i've been sure, on yeah. side too. inundated yeah yeah uh, You've been disappointed so many times before, you know. <laughs> so when somebody's representing themselves, like oh, and then a lot of times they blow smoke up their own ass so much to where you don't even like them as a person before you even listen to it. So you're already begrudging listening to it, <laughs> and then they give you some kind of like either live performance or some fucked up file that takes a, a bunch to upload, or you can't just exe. That's a virus. From yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you download it and it's shit, and you're like, I wasted database on this, so like memory on my laptop for this you've been on the other side then of a couple like radio promotion companies or people pitching songs uh-huh. what's what is that like what's i mean are they how aggressive are they or do they play it a little more casually to try and make it feel like oh you make the decision about yeah the song that we're really going to push on you everyone i worked with was very sweet and it was awesome it was awesome opening up the mail and getting new music you know, um, like I was in one of those kind of CD clubs back in the day, getting that feeling again. Being able to discover stuff was always a part of the the gig that I enjoyed the most, that I you know I missed the most. So both those things, it was like Christmas every time I checked the mail, and I would get new things. I would listen, open and honestly, and and then I would give them honest feedback of what I was looking for in the format I was trying to present. Um, and some stuff I just wasn't into, and I was honest with them on it, but. Uh, yeah, it was it was still nice uh, for everyone that I worked with, and I do miss that interaction. 
Yeah. You were super early on sale, weren't you? Yeah, on A1 Nation, mm-hmm. super early on 21 Pilots, super early on Max Frost, and all three of them just went on tour together, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. And I was like, so many Where's times. Congos on that tour? <laughs> right now, I'm trying to get that, right? So, And then Kayfley in the mix, too. I'm like, now you got a festival that I've been trying to put together for years. But uh, yeah, seeing that like touring thing, I'm like, so many times I played those three songs or three songs from those three artists uh, in a row on my show to see that tour come through. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's, that's massive. Yeah. Well, also, we, it. we toured yeah. with Mother Mother last year, mm-hmm. and they've been able to build a base, uh, n- you know, not entirely around the country, but in Phoenix. They can come sell out Crescent now as a band from Canada that no one had really heard of, yeah. you know, at least in Phoenix. And you you were heavy, heavy on them. I remember f- before we even knew about them, before we went on tour, yeah. you were always pushing Mother Mother. Yeah, well, I loved them. For those who... There are listeners that don't know who you are. You know, I know a lot of the Arizona people are going to know who you are because you've been around the scene for a long time. But how did you get into radio? And because you, right now you're in Tucson, right? What station are you at in Tucson? On KLPX, which is a classic rock staple okay, yeah. down there. But the early on in the KWSS, it's still a non-com station, but you were, you know, it was basically being run out of your house. Well, yeah, like the morning show was. Yeah. And the 420 afternoon thing, I, I uh, answered an ad on Craigslist. <laughs> to get into it on that station that was very simple but uh it's very weird right i have a couple key moments in my life that i've made decisions to go somewhere or go into a direction based off of my gut right and not like it's gut feeling but i'd be so disturbed internally <laughs> like i would feel this like sickness in my stomach i did this before i moved to flagstaff i felt it i was like i need to go and i went and it went away um i was doing the family business and everything and I had that sickness again. And then I went to Craigslist for like the first time ever looking for radio jobs. And I never did radio before. What, so what, before you get to that, what, what gave you the idea that you could be in radio? Because I mean, hearing you, if you close your eyes and listen to this, you're like, oh, this guy should be on radio. To me, that's what I thought. That's you know? his face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I had that, uh, those dreams since I was super young, about like uh, nine or ten I remember Bruce Kelly was a local DJ out here, and uh, I would listen to him religiously. But when I listened to him, I would automatically start imagining what I would do. Yeah. You know, and this was at an early age. And so, I mean, I saw him introduce, like, Donny Osmond and Fourth of July, a uh, big concert event. Uh, we're all sweating our ass off. It's like one of the hottest Fourth of Julys ever. Uh, Danny Zalisco ended up putting that on, and, uh, you know... I'm friends with him today, which is crazy, but... Yeah, huge promoter here. Yeah, yeah, and he went on, and Bruce Kelly was uh, basically emceeing the the whole show, and I remember being kind of excited and watching intently during his parts, getting on stage and just introing and, and saying liners and whatnot. And obviously not giving a shit about Donny Osmond or whatever. <laughs> uh, but, but so it goes back young. Yeah. And then and you I could DJ'd, see yourself emceeing. Right. Well, then I started emceeing at an early age. Um, like when I would get lunch attentions, <laughs> I'd be in the cafeteria. You're supposed to be cleaning up the cafeteria. I would go up on stage and I'd grab the microphone and I'd start uh, like announcing like birthdays, but then roasting people who were doing <laughs> that. And I, I started doing that in seventh and eighth grade. Um, and then I had a band and then I would MC at a nightclub when I was like 20 doing like wet t-shirt contests and shit. 
It was all so, radio-esque. Yeah, so, like so you were prepping you for the... Or what, who, no, I would do, you know, I would do the wet t-shirt contest of the NAU girls. I'd I just know, run I those. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it would be like hot body contest, which is for dudes. So I did, I, did, uh, I remember emceeing one hot body contest while I was on ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally. Like, it was like... Accidentally on well, ecstasy or are you... About... 45 minutes before I was supposed to head over to the club to MC this contest real quick, uh, Buddy busts out a bunch of ecstasy lines. Uh, they were partying, so a snored line of ecstasy. That shit burns so bad. If you haven't done it, don't. It's like a fire inside the middle of your brain. Uh, but then you start getting like super high. Then I get on stage in front of 400 kids and MC a contest of a bunch of fucking naked dudes. You know, like they literally there was pros there just in man thongs and like, you know, bananas swinging. And I got to hype them up like, ah, oh, give it up for, you know, Rusty Cock, whatever. <laughs> um, so I had those that experience. But you were probably a consummate professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those things are always, you know, it's a it's a mixture of being. Um, uh, I guess I've been fired and rehired so many different times that I think uh, people hate to love me. And instead of the other way around, yeah, yeah. it's a hate to love situation. They're just like, "Fuck you, you're done," and they're like, "Ah, oh, but fuck, I kind of like that guy around, and I will bring him back." It's just him, it's just him being him. So, um, so I was very. Uh, hate the lovable back then as well because I was having such a good time uh, and that owner was a de degenerate. Then I became a DJ, same thing. I would run, when I was DJing clubs, I'd be DJing like I was on the radio. So the way that I would hit interludes, little breaks, things like that, I would do uh, contests and games. I applied to be an MC, so uh, I didn't even know how to DJ. I went around to all the bars in my neighborhood and got a petition signed. Uh, and people were like, what do I sign the petition for? I'm like, for me to get a job. <laughs> and this is before MySpace and everything. So I got 500 names and phone numbers. And then I went into the club that just opened up. And I was like, you need to hire me to be your MC Because I did this before in Flagstaff. And they're like, why? And I threw down the petition. And I'm like, because I got 500 names and phone numbers of people who go out and drink in this area. I'll call them up. They'll tell two friends. You'll have 1,500 people and know about your place by tomorrow. <laughs> and they're like, well, come in tonight. That's that's right. You're a hustler. I don't basically. think I've heard this part. Yeah, of your that's history. that's how I got into DJing. I still DJ today. So when I went in later that night, they stuck me behind the DJ booth, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, like I I don't have any CDs or nothing. Like the only CDs I have literally are my band, like my <laughs> shitty live performances, uh, and that was that's all I had at that time. Um, it's just shitty live performances of my band and Flagstaff. So they went across the street to Walmart, bought me a bunch of CDs. Through you know, um, threw me behind there. I started working out. The next day, I called those 500 people, uh, told them that I was going to do my you know party for getting the job celebration later that night, and we had 600 people show up huh. and pack the club, and that's how I got a job DJing, <laughs> and then I started doing all that, and I got fired from that place, but rehired. <laughs> so before we go on, it would be nice to continue the story, but we should play pay for the weekend and so i want to just jump back a bit to what beef said about 
picking a single when he heard I'm only joking and come with me now and that that he couldn't pick a single but you did actually pick a single because you said I'm only joking is the right first track to just like blow people's minds it's this weird out there track right is the jab before the knockout punch. so it's kind of interesting <laughs> because we you know this new song we're about to play pay for the weekend is our first single kind of official single that the we're official be, first single yeah we've put out some other songs this is the one we feel it's got a real good shot to go to radio and perhaps be another spearhead for us and this is the song that when you first heard in the, bus call on bus call when you were at the phoenix film festival you said i think that's the one so yeah you know, well, we don't take a lot of people's opinions seriously because everyone's got one and we've had every opinion from like you should you know come with me and i was never going to make it on radio to you know we've had every, every opinion but we do actually value your opinion a lot and we've been sending you music as we go along just because you know we want to get your initial reaction and this is one you kind of put some weight behind so that definitely oh, yeah. played into our thoughts as we thought about what single to go with so why don't we just play it this is pay for the weekend and we'll talk on the other side
that was Pay for the Weekend by Congos. The Brothers Congos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how would you how would you outro that? I mean, how would you uh do that if it's I'll be like, it's the first time that you've heard it for the next thousand times. It's Pay for the Weekend Congos, your new official anthem for Monday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think of that just now? Yeah. Okay, because well, not necessarily because I, when I think of the initial idea of the song, yeah, um, I mean it's not a it's not an unusual idea, but we we were thinking that that could actually be sort of part of the pitch to radio programming. Yeah. It's like Monday morning, everyone's fucking had a big weekend. You know, this is the song to get you back, or Friday night. Yeah, I guess well, so. yeah. I mean, depending on when you go up, but that's what made it uh, so likable and relatable. I thought, okay, this is like obviously a song that so many people can relate to. Uh, because it's we live in this culture where everyone has multiple jobs. We burned a candle at both ends, but that doesn't stop us from going out and having a good time. Mm. But it's still handling responsibilities the next day, yeah. feeling like death. <laughs> right? I think we might cut this little snippet here and send it out with our radio promo team because a lot of DJs uh, don't have the, the they don't know how to approach it. They, yeah. no, no, I don't mean this song. I just mean January. Like you have, like you nailed. Well, I don't it. Think we just said you say that. You know, has a real musical sense, sense sensibility when it comes to um, DJing. You know, you actually like music, and you like listening to music, talking about music, and exposing people to new music. So, and that's not the most common thing. A lot of people, I feel like, get into radio DJing or radio programming because it's a, it's the entertainment business, and it's something for them to show off their. Uh, skill, which I know it's right. that's part of it, but a lot of it, it used mean, to no, be people right. that love what fucking listening to music, you know, and they play new records. Discovery, I think, is a, a yeah. huge. You seem to like discovery and then sharing yeah. the discovery. You know, yeah, he's a, a discovery jockey. That's yeah. that's old school, right? And I was thinking about that on the way over because um, I was just thinking about all the different things I did, and I part time DJed on a hot AC station. Right through Mark Young out here, ninety seven five, hot adult contemporary. Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was, it was Katy Perry and Taylor Swift and everything, and is, and I got fired from that um, through a mentor who I'm still friends with, and I was so ecstatic when he fired me uh, because I hated doing that kind of shift. And there's people that like doing that kind of shift. Like, what is your point? Like, you, I, I get it. Like, you're so into, like, you don't have a personality, um, <laughs> but you're so into feeling special that you'll do this shit shift of introducing Justin Bieber for the five millionth time. Uh, and then doing liners, like, what is the point of that? That doesn't seem like real, you know, DJ, you know, aspect. I was compared to Wolfman Jack growing up since I had puberty. <laughs> that was pirate radio. That was like, hey, guys, rock and roll is going on. They're trying to tell you rock and roll is not going on. But we're going to show you that there's something going on out there. And check this out. And it, you know, helped, like, spur a whole movement. Um, yeah, there's got to be some sort of counterculture or naughtiness to it, you know? like Right. And that that's I, what it did with uh, was Stern um, a big impl- influence on you? Well, yeah, yeah, I on everybody, to him. I guess. Yeah, as far as entertaining and DJing and the yeah. honesty is is always the best policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh, when it I, comes, to- I remember listening to you on the radio because we would, you know, we would often tune in if we knew you were going to play us, especially in those early days, because it was you know so fucking exciting to to switch on the radio in your hometown. Be able to hear, yeah, yeah, hear somebody talking about you and talking about your song, and then play the song. Uh, but so then we would get trapped, not trapped, but like sucked in and end up listening to the whole show. And you were, you've got a knack for telling stuff that happens to you, especially bad stuff. Oh, yeah. But you make it so entertaining <laughs> that, that everyone's like relishing your pain, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's so much so that I like almost invite these kind of like terribly embarrassing situations to happen to me on a regular basis. Just for the story. Yeah. But oh, it's, only, it's weird. It's changed. Like that, there was a time where you were. 
very unique in that. Or, you know, there were this group of people that were the people that would speak openly about the shit stuff that happened to them. I feel like in the last four years since, or like shit, seven years since we're talking about 2011, everything's changed because of social media. Like, it's become a lot more common for people now to just talk about how shit they're like everyone's a fucking stand-up comedian now like you know doing yeah. their shtick spilling their guts a minute each I time mean, on an instagram video i watched this show these four guys in a band old brothers and they just fucking left the cameras on during arguments and all the crap stuff and <laughs> i don't know what they were trying to achieve but it was you know it was very honest and actually quite touchy <laughs> all right so before we get back to where you left off which was the emceeing um the hot body contest and then we'll get to the craigslist <laughs> right. thing if you guys heard pay for the weekend it's coming out tomorrow which is a tuesday the 27th so everywhere you can stream it um spotify youtube apple music all that stuff go stream it leave your computer on let it stream all day Um, (laughs) and if you happen to hear it on real terrestrial radio make sure you let people know that you like it if you like it spotify make sure to save it right save it share it with friends you know all that stuff so many instructions only so many things you got to do i know well this is enjoy these are our hardcore fans listening to this you know to help uh, us spread the word i get it it's it's getting the army out there and be like should we discuss the song for a couple minutes before we move on let's discuss song because you had this song for a while right yeah yeah well not actually not very long i think i wrote it last year maybe yeah um were you hung over when you wrote it um no, but that's what I was imagining. I was imagining another time that I was, or you know, several times. <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't. I, I, I don't think I've told it any, even the guys this. I, I just, <laughs> I was uh, doing yoga or something, and for some reason, still I still a cunt, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had that fucking song by um, the, one of the Jonas Brothers, his his band. I think uh, Cake, Cake by the Ocean. Cake by the Ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just. I had this that phrase going around. I was like, it's such a stupid phrase. But then I heard the story about how it came up, you know, and they made a song basically out of this experience where they were at a beach bar or something and some foreigner was trying to order sex on the beach. Yeah. And they called it Cake by the Ocean or something. So <laughs> they took that and made a song out of it. Anyway, so I had this phrase, pay for the weekend, pop into my head at some point. And I thought, ah, oh, there's, there's like a pop, there's a sort of catchy pop thing there, you know, that's yeah. a phrase that I think people would connect with. And then I thought, well, how can I rationalize writing a song about this? And so I had, well, it's kind of a little metaphor for karma, you know, or whatever right. you do in this life, there's going to be some consequence, you know, it could be a positive or negative consequence. Uh, so that's the lyric kind of sprung from that. And then that musically, it was a whole different thing. I, I had this sort of bouncy triplet thing going around my head. I couldn't, I didn't know what it was. So I thought, try and program it on a synth beat. And it was, and I built the song around that. And then obviously this is, it's kind of like the de facto title track of the album, even though it's not the title. This is where the line, we're going to party like it's 1929. Right. And that's where we were kicking around various names for the album. And then that one just clicked. Why 1929? Well, first off, you fucked up, um, both songs for me because now I'll be thinking uh, Cake by the Ocean every time. <laughs> Pay for the weekend, Cake by the Ocean. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> it's already there. Yeah. And I know that like when I wedding DJ, yeah. that's the new Cutting the Cake anthem. Well, by my estimation, we can... I'm like, Pay for the weekend. <laughs> it's, they're all, they're both mixed up now. By my estimation, we can only benefit from that association. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But the, the, the other part of the song is, you know, the harmony that's underlying 
we all feel that it's got a little bit of pathos. There's a little bit of heart to it, you know? Yeah. And I used an acoustic piano and it, it was basically the verse in that chant section and I had these other lyrics that weren't really doing anything and Dylan, I think, we were, when we were in the studio, like those sounds that kind of sound like birds, the synths that sound like birds. Yeah. He's like, there's something there, there's a melody there, you know, it needs another section. So I said, well, I've got these lyrics and he's like, well, try put the lyrics with that melody, that bird melody. Yeah. And then it ended up adding this whole dimension to the song where it's up in a high vocal register. You know, man, you know, right. And it adds this edge and this emotion to it that it was lacking. So I think it was is quite. Is it hard to hit that register? Uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's up there for me. Yeah, like it's up I, there. My register is not that. That's pretty much at the top of it. But it's, right. it's short. Yeah. It's not like sustained. So, and I'm not a natural singer. So I, I like took the John Lennon approach, which is, you can't really sing that well naturally so you just push your voice to the point where the commitment you know kind of sells it rather than the right quality of pitching uh-huh <laughs> that was my whole singing style yeah, yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't hit notes but i was feeling it <laughs> <laughs> well, well i like it so it well you know back to the you know the monday morning anthem and stuff part of the art of the dj and and spinning you guys and helping build it is the car salesman aspect you know, I tried to convince this to my GM who already fired me once that your DJs are your your number one salesman, even though you're honoring or you're you know you're putting these sales guys on a pedestal. But if you don't have people that believe in you enough to you know go and you know go after this um, the shit that you're selling, then it doesn't matter. You're not going to show results. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believed in the song, so it was easy to sell it. It's always easier to sell something if you too would actually be into it. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So that's what these other DJs would have to do. If if it was one of those things where they had any kind of personal connection um, or had any say in picking it. There's radio stations out there that do music meetings, right? So they'll listen to songs and then DJs will vote on it and that's super cool, right? So then say you get like nine out of 10 DJs voting for Pay for the Weekend, at least then you know there's some kind of commitment or some attachment there. Yeah. Like I fought for this song. So it should help them sell it even better. Right? Yeah. Even if they start seeing bad numbers or that, because that that's the aspect of the radio business that's so crazy. And it's gotten even crazier now because now it's, they want to look at Spotify streaming numbers. And because you can get analytics that like drill down so specifically, you know, a song, it, it doesn't necessarily get a shot because the statistics are fine, right. but it doesn't actually tell the whole story. Well, I think it's also, uh, sometimes you need an advocate to get that song beyond that initial point of resistance. Like a song like Bohemian Rhapsody was facing right. resistance at radio. It's such so, in in hindsight, it's so clearly such a special song and such a hit and uh, like a behemoth of a song. But so long. Right. But we talked yeah, about it's very sale. long and it took, you know, it took a few DJs or it took some advocates basically to get it over that corporate hump of resistance, you know? Right. I mean, now you, you have were to probably have playing sale like, 18 months before anyone else was. That one one took two years of trying to convince people. And there were still even stations for us where Come With Me Now was literally about to go number one before some stations would add it. Yeah. Like they just wanted, they, for whatever reason, didn't see it or just didn't like us or the band and did not want to add it. So there's. Well, not wanting to add it for your own personal taste is a legitimate reason, but not seeing it as a success is just not believing your own eyes you know yeah. it's like that's clearly you're thing. not watching wwe 
<laughs> Extreme Rules. Because that's what it was. Extreme Rules. I was like, do you remember the pay per view? <laughs> was one of those. Well, yeah. we were, I, oh, I remember it because it says it on, when on the check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it says Extreme Rules. I had no idea how huge wrestling was. Did you have saw- a spike in sales after that? Oh my god, it was insane. YouTube nice. comments and stuff like that. And then also Jared Followell from Kings of Leon, this one time he made fun of wrestling and on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And he just got fucking bombarded by wrestling fans attacking him. It was hilarious. Yeah, and eventually there. he's like, All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's real. It's real. <laughs> I'm a closet <laughs> wrestling fan, so I saw that in real time. I was like, oh, those motherfuckers got it on there too. It's everywhere. I don't it seems to be more popular popular than ever now. Well, no, it's meta now. Like everyone's like it's clearly accepted as fake. David Arquette, he got into some. David Arquette death match, and he almost died. He he got hit over the head with a um, one of those long light bulbs, right? The Uh fluorescent light tubes. Uh Uh Those are poisonous. Yeah, they fuck you up, man. And it's a real thing. They they, they're designed to make you bleed, right? So there's no fake fluorescent light bulbs at that level. (laughs) Um, So the guy hit him over the head. A piece of the glass went into his neck and hit like his jugular vein. So he started bleeding profusely and immediately he wanted to stop. And he's like telling the other guy, like, all right, dude, it's over. Like, like let's go home, go home. And the guy didn't want to go home. And that's wrestling speak for finish the match. And so David was going to walk away. He was going to just walk out and leave. And he decided to go back in try to end this match, and then he, like, for real, picked up a chair with all his weight and just swung it around to hit him with it, and the guy did this little toss move and pinned him and ended the match, and as soon as the match ended, David got up and walked out. Like, no-sold is what they call it. This is all wrestling term. Where, so what? Uh, where, what, does that, what does that mean? No. A no-sold? Like a no-sell. Uh, so he just ended the match, right? So yeah. you would think he's a little dazed or knocked out or whatever, needs to lay there for a minute to gain his composure. He popped right back up. As soon uh, as he got pinned uh, and then walked out. Selling it, you mean? You yeah, yeah. That's a no-sell, no right? It's There's such a, a weird no thing, it. right? Because it's, it's obviously fit, like the wrestler of that movie uh, was, was quite elucidating about this because I'd never yeah. really... Especially that, that level, because people think the Hulk Hogan level, like superstar level, there's none. That's that's only like the top yeah. percentage, just like rock star level. I, I can't stand, re- I mean, I don't like it at all, but I like things about it. Like, I loved The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, and I loved the Under the Giant documentary. I thought yeah, that, was that was amazing. Great. But, like, watching the actual thing, I don't really care about. I thought that Andre the Giant could have been better. Be honest with you. Why is that? Because they left. They still left a lot of stuff out. Oh, huh. yeah. Like, was, it Andre, bit, was it a bit of a puff piece or something? Or kind of. It was just. It was quick. It was a snippet of things that people pretty much already sad, knew. Though. Well, it is a sad life. Yeah. You know, and that's one of those things. You grow up like, you know, you're bigger than everybody else, and yeah, you get fame and attention and everything, but you're super lonely, and and you're, you know, um, you're bursting from the inside out. The pain yeah. internally. It's crazy. I actually knew a guy. He's like, my mom banged Andre the Giant. I woke up one morning, <laughs> went down to eat, and he's sitting there at the table. This huge mountain of a man. And I'm looking at his hands, and his hands are so big. <laughs> so, you know, like, Andre the Giant, like, if you think you're well in doubt, your dick's still not bigger than Andre the Giant's finger. Uh, so, and he could just, he could basically bang, like, ten chicks at one time. The legend of the giant is immense. And Ric Flair tried to allude to it. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But they cut him pretty short right, right? Yeah. yeah they're like well, well it's not that kind of documentary mm-hmm. but i think a lot of people want to know that documentary because it was a swing in 70s he's one of the most famous men in the world and he's huge 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the movie I want to see. The one, the one people watch... never know about is Charlie Chaplin. Charlie oh, yeah. Chaplin was he I mean, he was a maniac. Yeah. Because if you think about it, the most recognizable person on earth for decades, nobody mm-hmm. nobody's ever been as famous as Charlie Chaplin was relatively for they as long. covered that a little bit in Chaplin. I mean, he was oh, a fiend too. Uh, yeah, yeah. For young chicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's the uh, part they leave out of the kind of history. But you know what? In 1920, they usually die at 30. So, I mean, if you're getting a girl that's like 15, that's yeah, middle-aged. Vegan anthropologist. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, they died earlier, so I think the middle age would be considered earlier. I'm not saying it's right, <laughs> especially by today's standards. But uh, I don't know if you can hear on the podcast us backing away from beef. <laughs> <laughs> Is there not a warning before? You should put a warning. <laughs> It's fine. We're going to edit it in and add a, a PSA. Congress does not endorse any of the guests' opinions Mc- or statements. To yeah. change the subject, the Vince McMahon section in Under the Giant was because you have seen that guy before, and he's always so weird, and he's you know, and it was it was interesting to see his kind of emotional relationship with Under the Giant. Oh yeah, I want to see that story too. Did like, you see? Did speaking you of Under the what, like a case of wine a night. Andre the Giant? Oh, even sometimes more than that. It'd be crazy. He could drink two cases of beer uh, without falling down. And the guy was, but when he would hold a beer, it would look like a little four ounce um, energy drink. So, yeah, I mean, you're slamming those. If you haven't seen it, the documentary is really great. It's very, very sad, actually. Have you seen that movie, My Dinner with Hervé? Yeah. That, like, that was on HBO. Giants, he was yeah. a, a little person. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was also just a very sad story. Same know, because thing. Because you got someone that's so famous. And Who was he? He was uh, in- The plane, the plane. The yeah. Fantasy Island, the plane guy. It was, was a little bit the, before your time. Uh, James Bond movies. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that kind of thing where we've even experienced the m- tiniest version of this where people are like, play, come with me now. Play, come with me now. And that's annoying. And that's, you know, it's basically it's just, you're like, oh, thank you. You right. like my song. Yes. But then you see this guy where they just, it's the tagline at the him plane, for his plane. entire life. Right. And it's just, a, you know. No one's asking you to play Come With Me Now when you're in line at Starbucks. Right. You yeah. know, but so yeah, that's under, good. Yeah, if you're under the giant, you can't go anywhere. You're yeah. anywhere. You can't go anywhere. Do right. anything. Yeah, I thought he moved to a rural farm town just so he could just so he could live without being disturbed. I know. Yeah. He was French or Belgian? French. French, French? yeah. I think yeah. So, yeah. But the Vince McMahon movie, like when they make that, that's the movie I want to see because that that's a story altogether, like his insanity. Yeah, He's, that's it's so interesting to me how interesting the peripheral aspects of the wrestling world are mm. when the actual event is so boring. Yeah, but you got to think about it. You've got supercharged athletes with you got to imagine drugs involved. Yeah, yeah. especially yeah. back in yeah, even 70, just ten years yeah. ago. Now it's a lot. Cleaner and stuff. Plus, you mix it all with this weird kind of flamboyant performance and these ridiculous costumes. It's like very bizarre. It's just Mm -hmm. such a weird world. Well, Vince McMahon only sleeps like three to four hours a day. Three to four hours a day. The guy's been doing that for like his entire adult life. He works out several times. He's buffer than most of the wrestlers that he has on his staff. (laughs) And he's fucking almost 80. You know, like the stuff that this guy's been able to do. Uh, is insane his work ethic. So I kind of like my work. People say I like work hard because I, I work a lot of jobs and I've been you know dedicated to my craft. I'm like I'm not Vince McMahon. I don't <laughs> work Vince McMahon hard. I still have. Have you have you watched the Quincy Jones documentary? Yeah. That yeah. that is another one of those things where they just seem like they have five lifetimes worth of energy. And they're probably in not them. watching documentaries all the right. time. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I had time to do all that shit. I'm watching documentaries. But the, it wasn't. It's that's obviously partially true, but at the same time, they they didn't just work more than everybody else. They also 
played more than ever. They did everything yeah. more. So yeah. everything was just larger than life, you know? Yeah. And we're back. And Beef just told us the funniest story off the air. <laughs> well, if you just listen to that advertisement, um, I, I feel like the the corporate sponsor today. I'm giving all the the answers or all the advertisements. Keeping stuff, it on track. Keeping it on track. Uh, if you just heard that advertisement, if you don't want to hear advertisements in our podcast, go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash congos. And just for two, $2 a month, you can hear ad-free podcasts, get exclusive content, um, submit questions for us to answer once a month. So, yeah, go there and support the podcast and Colton's Cracker Habit. Yeah, someone just alerted me, and I don't know whether this is because Colton's doing it wrong or it's just a bug on the advertising program that inserts the ads that they're not showing up where we say they are. So every time we come back saying that you just heard an ad, no one's hearing those ads. <laughs> <laughs> so if you hear them Colton. at any point in the podcast <laughs> yeah. and you don't want to hear them, I guess we'll have to listen to our own podcast. That's fucking boring. <laughs> no, we, uh, we'll get Colton to. That's, that's what we give him all the crackers for. <laughs> so uh, you used to podcast, do a podcast of your thing. Do you do a I podcast do. now? You still do? Yeah, I podcast the Frank show that I'm on right now daily. And then I do... Um, a specialty thing when I could talk to people I'm interested in called Beef Vegan Presents. I did that with Mega Ran and um, uh, MC Lars. Uh, I did that with this kid named Petro Sunny, the Tucson rapper down there, who I'm like, this kid's going to kill himself inadvertently. I got to talk to him soon. Uh, he's got, you know, face tattoos and everything. He's just a auto-tune mumble rapper. Uh, and he's insane, and he's he's a white kid, you know, that says the N word uh, frequently and freely around black guys with guns. And I'm like, I got to talk to this guy because what's going through his this his mind, where it's like this is this is the norm, this is his thing, and he's gonna fuck, he thinks he's gonna blow up and all this stuff. Where's he um, from? Tucson. Right, so where all the great mumble rappers come from, <laughs> and so I got him I've, in. I've met a lot of mumble talkers from Tucson. Yeah, I'm one of them. I added to it, but uh, yeah, I had him in and did a podcast with him. And people around the station were excited that I was having this kid in because he's such a train wreck. You, you can't help but watch him. And when he came in, he brought keyboard cleaner, and he was huffing keyboard cleaner the entire time that I was doing the interview. What? Yes. What do you mean? You mean for cleaning a computer keyboard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah huh. you could huff that and get a little high like a whippet. Um, he was sucking at that thing. Like, I would be asking him questions, and you're, ah! oh, his voice would get all deep for a second. And uh, then he would answer some stupid question. <coughs> and so I had that, and I posted that I like that. And I'm working on politicking my way into uh, getting more people that. Uh, I want to talk to you into the station, video record it, and podcast it. So I video podcast audio. Are you are you attracted to that kind of thing? That kind of a like, would you go to like a juggalo? Uh, what is that thing? Yeah, the, gathering of juggalos. Yeah, I would, would you, just for the party for sure. Um, right, just to see that kind of bizarre thing. You mean? Well, first off, I'm like third generation white trash, so I'd be amongst my people. I got shitty tattoos too, so <laughs> they would just be like, they would look at me and not be like, "What are you doing here?" They'd be like, "Welcome home." So. <laughs> Um, yeah, is I don't third mind generation that. worse or better? Does it get better or worse? It just, you know, it's ingrained in my DNA. Oh, I see what you're saying. I do white trash things where it's not even consciously white trash. I'm just like, oh, I sorry, I thought that was the way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm open. I like all different types of music, as you know. Yeah. Um, for Petro, is more of the circus, like, sideshow aspect of it. Mm. Uh, for MC Lars and Megaran, it was for the artist part of it because he's a 
uh, really good. They do concept records. It's nerdcore, so they're kind of like leaders of their own um, genre. What's nerdcore? Nerdcore is it's like hardcore nerd. So they rap their songs. They're rapping about their video game collections and comic cons and things like that. Um, that is obviously there's a huge uh, market for because comic cons are huge and Marvel and everything else. So they're basically the the musical equivalent to that scene. Right. So, I mean, that, that stuff has obviously changed enormously. Like, a, um, what is that video game that everybody plays now? Red Dead Redemption 2. No, no. Uh, oh, like, that's what I've been playing. Fortnite. Fortnite. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a guy who uh, who makes like $10 million a year streaming his Twitch. or Yeah, Twitch is a big deal. A yeah, I mean, deal. I knew it was big. I didn't realize how much money was involved in and how many kind of weird little superstars there are in this different world, yeah. I get people telling me I should Twitch all the time, too, and I'm like, nah, I'm too old for that shit. Like, I would do it, you know, and they're like, oh, you'd have good commentary. Yeah, to a certain extent, but it's a young man's game. These are 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. It's their generation, mm -hmm. and they're getting other, you know, 16- and 17-year-olds to watch so it. is this basically you you broadcast your feed of your online game video and game. Your, your audio feed, so what the, your, the stuff that you're saying, is that? Yeah, or picture within picture. So there's a. Oh, so they get to watch you see, look at your screen. Yes. Right, okay. That's exactly what it is, and that's a big thing. It's a big thing on YouTube. It's a huge thing on Twitch, and there are p players out there that aren't even good. You know, they're not like pros. They're or just giving, funny, or they're yeah. yeah they're just you know what blows my mind is how far be like. This has always been this grassroots thing of you know streaming like within the gamer community, but it blows my mind that like mainstream media, as in like ESPN hasn't got on this because even like we're not really gamers but from early on i thought it would have been cool to watch like a professionally cut four camera version of like the top players of halo or call of duty or playing yeah, yeah. I, but I shot mean, from a like the you know the problem is it's kind of it's kind of an it's not counterculture but it's its own little culture and then how do you convince this culture to accept ESPN? I'm not saying of that it, they like, would convince them. Like obviously yeah. they're going to live in their own world on Twitch or whatever. But right. if ESPN did a good job of it, not with uh, not with football, because like you can watch real football. I don't. But I, I'm I saying, know like, what you're saying. I watch just, sometimes the gameplay like, is better. Yeah, I think like there's already that really? kind of sometimes what the gameplay is better. Like when you're watching yeah, like a Madden, no the graphics are <laughs> legit, and you know you see some of the bullshit that goes on. In the NFL game super boring. That doesn't necessarily happen in in video games. Sometimes the drama and the suspense. I think people watch. Personally, it. I don't get it, but I also I, my instinct is to criticize it. But at the same time, it's no different from. Who, who Merv, like Merv Albert, that guy's famous for talking about other people play a sport. It's right. Like, it's all, it's all ridiculous if you think and about it. Marv Albert. Marv yeah, and he wore women's underwear. Really? <laughs> Frequently. Huh. Yeah, He's yeah. like the FBI director. Who was yeah, that he guy? got caught. Hoover. Uh, was it Hoover? Yep. Yeah. 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 And he liked to yeah, question me, bro. I'm pop culture savant. <laughs> all the stupid nonsense that doesn't make any difference in this world. I know all the answers. Well, I want to ask you a question that's not pop culture, but it's, I guess it's related to where you're working now because you're doing all this like current stuff, you know, podcasting. Oh. You're aware of Twitch and everything that's going on, but you're working at a classic rock station yeah. with, without. I don't, don't want you to throw anyone under the bus or like. But have you had a hard time kind of bringing certain people in the radio world? up to date has that been a struggle for you yeah actually um well it's part of the assets that uh, makes me appealing to hire me on because the job i got now wasn't even a position a position that was available uh -huh. i was only supposed to phone screen and it was only until my lease was up that i was going to do it just to help me out financially because i got fired from this company from budget cuts 
And um, and then once I started phone, like the first day, I did more than phone screen. And then immediately there was a difference in the, the atmosphere of the show and everything. And then they started fighting for me to be full-time. And it started with the show fighting for me to be full-time. And then, um, then everyone in the building fought for me. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's not about the fight to get these older pros who are used and set in their ways, they realize, they're smart enough to realize that people are listening to the medium in, in so many different forms now. Um, so it's easy to convince them if you do all the work. <laughs> I was trying to convince them when I was on the other show. They wouldn't do it. But now that I'm on it and I'm posting it and everything, then yeah, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Do it up. You right, know, yeah. add to your work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just know that it's a, uh, I look at the job as a multimedia content provider. Right, and that's the way I kind of describe it, multimedia content provider, and I keep reminding myself that's what I am. In a lot of ways, that's what you guys are, you know, with music and then the podcasting and the videos. I mean, every musician today, uh, especially the successful ones, are multimedia content providers. Right. Even pictures on Instagram, you know, that's a multimedia sure, yeah. content, uh, and people are following it, and they're liking that shit up and everything, so there's no just one thing. You have to kind of just continue to spread out and give a bunch of content all the way around. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just weird how uh, you kind of you people are looking for this human connection, I guess, online, and they get it. They get some degree of um, connection to other people that maybe they're lacking in their life. I mean, we listen to podcasts and we do all that kind of stuff, and it it does in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, this is a substitute for real human connection. But until you come across this Instagram account that just showed up in my feed the other day, and then you found all the human connection you need, it's a girl eating ice, various types of ice, like uh, strawberries made out of ice, bananas made out of ice, just crunching ice. Uh -huh. Is she hot? No. What do you mean no? No, she's not. Uh, she, she's why are you even following her? How do I'm you find I'm not following it? her. I just showed up. Well, on I mean, my sometimes, feed. sometimes something will become a phenomenon just because it's an attractive person doing it. Yeah, no, I, that's like, what I'm yeah. saying. This is what I don't understand yeah. about this. That's particular... why I follow Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I don't understand about this particular thing. It's just a person eating crunching ice with a microphone right by their. Oh, so it's, it's a, a sound AS, that people ASMR to. thing or whatever. Huh. Yes. But, uh, Twenty, mi you know, like not millions, but it's hundreds of thousands of views on every yeah. video. Huh. And brushing I, hair. I, I saw this I'd whole love to ASMR know the thing. stats of how many people are watching it, just like me, where they're like, "What is this?" Like it's just pure curiosity. Like, why is this a thing? Right. Yeah. I I I almost think it's like hacking a human biology to what are the base stimulus things? What are the base components that stimulate your mind? Yeah. And like I know I can get a million followers if I just photographed myself taking a dump every day. <laughs> like I know I could. I know it would grow and, and go viral. There and is that guy a fart or something like that? But I won't do Paul, it. Paul I want to do something else in my life. But <laughs> but if someone out there is looking to get a million followers, then just photograph yourself and even split screen of you taking a dump and swear to God. Right, it's the regularity that counts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's constant. Hopefully it's daily. Right. Um, you're like one to two posts a day. Uh, three the, if I eat Mexican food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is, it's basically the things on Instagram that are the most popular. It's food accounts, mm. girls. Hot chicks, of course. What yeah. was that one you came across, Dan? The guy that makes miniature. Oh, mini tiny kitchen. Tiny. It's a guy who cook, cooks mini food in a little kitchen. And you just see his hand. It's a kitchen the size of like his hands. And he cooks these little pancakes and stuff like that. 
And I watched like 30 videos because I was so blown away at the production quality of this meaningless thing. And it had millions of followers. And this guy's just making little omelets and stuff in his tiny kitchen. Yeah, it feels like a setup, you know. It's like, it's the dumbest thing ever. I, I couldn't believe somebody was making this. So I watched like 30 or 40 of them. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't think it was so dumb. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's as far as those weird little accounts go, it's well done. I, it's What's weird is the phenomenon of it. And I think that's what you're saying, is that part of the appeal of these things is the fact that they are popular. It's the... It's yeah, but it's something self or self-fulfilling or it's algorithm fulfilling that's it you could show people anything and this is where I think this is a maybe a, a bit of a bigger question is this is not just some um ambivalent like objective algorithm that's just purely let's show the people what the people want to see because they're clearly directing the, like what I mean by they is like the the heads of Instagram or Facebook and that they have agendas right, of what right. they're trying to do. It's more screen time. They want you on the Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is what is so weird and basically kind of sinister about it is like they have an opportunity. If they wanted to, they could push better content to people. Because like no one everyone accepts now this is not like just some open it's not the open internet. Right. Like we're living on their highway. Right. So it's interesting that they've chosen to be so purely profit-driven to the fact that now you got people that make ice-crunching videos getting hundreds of millions of views. And it's not because that many people are, are that interested in ice-crunching. I get that. Like, I know that whatever fetish or thing you can come up with, someone's interested in it, the that's ASMR, fine. ASMR, like not yeah. too many people are affected that's, that's that. fine, but not that many people are interested. It's just now this thing where like, oh, it's got, why has this got 100 million views? I should check. Like, I want to see why it has 100 million views. Uh, so I'm just saying is what is... But what is the basis? What is your definition if you of were, quality? Like, if in other words, how do you actually determine what? No, I'm saying subjective quality. Like, I know that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't. He's not pushing the ice crunching agenda. <laughs> you know, you know, what I mean? he's trying to make money from advertising. As long, the more eyeballs for the longer, the better. Like, mm. we understand that it's profit driven, and right. I'm not being, I'm not anti capitalist or anything, right. but. It's weird if you were ge- if if I gave you the reins to Facebook and said here you go you've got what a hundred how many users are there two billion I would right? just turn it off yeah well yeah that, well that's an interesting consideration but what would you do would you try to infiltrate at least what you subjectively thought I were some gems I of think wisdom it's maybe partly that but I don't even think if someone was a benevolent you know dictator of social media and they could. Um, they could decide on the content that people watch and if they tried their hardest to get people to watch quality content, I don't think it would make a difference. It's like the old, it's like that theory of two different theories of what the world is going to be like in the future and one's this dystopian future of 1984 and the other one's Brave New World where everyone's just kind of like stupefied themselves and, and they're they're in a state of absolute... Um, titillation. Like titillation yeah, where right. you don't need to control the population because people have just... It's, dumb themselves yeah, down. PBS, that's, that's actually a both. much yeah. PBS has social media accounts. Did anybody here follow PBS? I don't follow any. I don't right. really no, follow you, you're right. Friends, you're, but, you're right uh, that is ultimately it's always up to you what you consume. Yeah. Yes, um, but the difference is this. You say P- PBS is a good example and so is the BBC because mm-hmm. clearly they're not like they have agendas but historically also they have presented the world with a lot of options that are we could all probably agree enlightening. 
uh, options. Right. Yeah. And all I'm saying is, I'm not saying one's bad or good or, or like I have the answer as to like if we just played Mozart to everyone, it would be a better world. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe everyone would just be boring because right. they're not trying new shit. But it's just interesting that there appears it appears to be so like crassly profit driven that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's 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 encouraging the worst of humanity I, in this little world. I think it's more a function of the platform and the technology. It's it's everybody always attributes it to some agenda or idea idea or mental state that the world is entering, but it's technology driven. It's like Maybe. people drive cars because there are roads, and there are roads because people drive cars. You know, the, everything feeds itself. The yeah. Instagram content. Is Instagram content yeah. because it's on the platform of Instagram, it's right? But maybe the the, the, the con- it was decided that we have this format and that these videos rise and the algorithm. Yes, works but it's in happened across way. all things where you if you make <laughs> you bites if you make it bite sized, you can spread it more easily. You know, and it's I I it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing that something shorter and more concise can outperform against something which is right. more elaborate and long. But you see, I'm not even necessarily saying that it is a bad, because maybe in, you know Instagram came in and gobbled up Snapchat or like has been taking over from where Snapchat started with all the stories and all that sort of thing. And maybe they will drive it in a better direction with longer form content, which they are doing with IGTV and all that. So maybe they're not sinister. Maybe they are actually trying to like raise things up. I, it's just... It was interesting to think about, like, what would you do if you were Mark Zuckerberg? Literally, with the touch of a button, you could control what billions of people. Well, he see. wrote that manifesto. Remember, he wrote that thing about. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I didn't read it. <laughs> it was too long. <laughs> but it was quite. He, he was talking about what Facebook's kind of goal should be. Uh, well, Facebook has just ascended it would into have been a hellhole. If you check it out, that's yeah, crazy. And, you and guys, if I knew anything about that, I would have had some. You went down that whole rabbit hole, and when Danny was talking about the miniature kitchen, um, you know, <laughs> making the breakfast, all I thought was, how devastated would he be to find out it was actually a real size kitchen and just giant hands? <laughs> <laughs> that's that the direction my mind went. So we went. We went. You could start a conspiracy theory about that's that. That kitchen is normal size. What's there. more impressive? You should, you just tag flat earth in it and then yeah. you'll get tons of followers donut earth now donut yeah, uh, mine's yeah, a cube I, I've been pushing for the cube oh, the yeah? reason people think it's flat is because it's a six sided flat earth ooh six sided yeah it's a cube the earth is a cube and it stacks next to the other planets that's my new theory yeah. the one good thing about the internet and like meme culture <laughs> is that for a conspiracy theory to stick now it has to be really good because people uh, want to just move on so quickly that like you know well, that's what disappoints me, and I, I said this on the air not too long ago, where I was just so mad because there's all these crazy uh, conspiracy theories that if you talk about the ones, if I talk about the ones that I actually believe in, then I'm just loaded up as like a kook, you know, like, the earth is flat, you're a fucking maniac, but 9-11 was the inside job, like, you can't <laughs> argue one that they label conspiracy theory while these other ones kind of were out there to kind of debunk your argument. Well, that's always been the argument. The, the, Deep the double conspiracy theory is that a lot of the silly ones are introduced to lend, like to make everything look stupid. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm still holding true on my beliefs, no matter <laughs> what. And I'll check out. It's fun to check out conspiracy theories, though. Oh, like, yeah. I'll check out every single one. I believe them as a default because I don't know anything, and it's more fun. The only yeah. one, the flat Earth one, is just so goofy, though. It's just whatever. Um, listening to that Eric Weinstein guy, though, who's a mathematician on. 
the Joe Rogan Experience, the number one source for all information on Earth. Um, if you want to learn about wolves chasing people or why not to run in high heels or why you shouldn't wear a tie because you can get choked out, then you should go listen to Joe Rogan's podcast because he'll talk about something goofy like that. But uh, when he was talking about the the this mathematical shape of the Earth, uh, f- first of all, I couldn't even wrap my head around it, but he he was saying it's the most important object on Earth in terms of its implications for mathematics the and Hopf physics. The diagram? Yeah, yeah we call, I mean, look, we can't even begin to discuss that, but I'm glad you brought him up because we're talking about one angle of this new media, but Joe Rogan is, I think, an agent of enlightenment in this sense, that like most people that are not familiar with who he is now or, and what he's doing think, oh, fear factor or he's some douchey UFC. Like there's this, right. He has to deal with that a lot, I'm sure, like people just trying to pigeonhole him into one thing. Right now, he's one of the single best sources for truly interesting and in-depth conversation about anything and everything, more so even than NPR and PBS, because he goes places they won't go, he talks with guests they won't talk about, and he talks in a much longer form thing. So he asks the layman's questions, you know, like he he, he really... Right, you he's trying to, to figure it out himself. He, he doesn't when he has a high level phys- physicist or mathematician on. He doesn't relate to it, just like none of us relate to it. And he's asking the right questions. So he's again one of these people. You see, he's got a tremendous power. Like I don't think people even realize, like this. I think power as a you know he yeah, knows he knows, you know, he knows I, and people around him know. But right. like I still feel like I can picture like reporters on CNN being like, and this podcaster Joe Rogan right, said this, yeah. and they're like. Dude, he gets more views or listens mm-hmm. of his thing than almost any other media on earth. Oh yeah. So uh, you it, can also feel uh, it's ob- it's obviously this if you're a young dude then you're going to be more subject to whatever his influence is cuz that's obviously his core demographic is young dudes. But uh or you know eight you know fucking 15 to to 40 year old dudes. Um yeah. but you can feel the influence just in terms of the topics that spread in social conversation. You realize that it, it really is the Richard Dawkins idea of a meme, which is a kind of intellectual gene, you know, or well, an idea gene that just spreads and pr- uh, propagates. That's how it's also influencing social media. You know, there there are the little bits of popcorn and, you know, tidbits on Instagram and social media, but then there are also the people like Paul Stamets, who Joe Rogan had on, who's this, you know, the... Um, the cr- the, the mushroom guy. Yeah, yeah. What's he called? He's a mycologist. Yeah. Mycologist? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I came across him on Instagram because I wouldn't even have known he existed until I heard him on the podcast and he, I thought he was interesting. Then I went and checked that. And all he does, he posts videos of describing different kinds of mushrooms yeah. and the way they look and what their properties are and like him mushroom hunting in the forest. Yeah, it exists. I think what's going to be interesting is to see the people like Joe Rogan that have now amassed this power is what they do with it. And so far, all he seems to have done with it is keep doing the same shit he's been doing which is you know it, like helping his friends get massive comedy careers and having interesting guests but you know it doesn't always go that way because networks start with a kind of a cool idea like the discovery channel or the history channel remember back in the day when they were discovery channel history channel yeah. now they just show fucking like you know octomom document like bullshit you know yeah. tlc the learning channel they right. had a show that was literally called i'm not making this up Four fat guys in the woods will have to survive in the woods or something like that. I'll have to verify. That sounds kind of educational. I'm sure I got three fat friends, so they go camping in the woods. I've watched that before I go. But speaking of comedy, if you got four fat friends, it's not going to be applicable. It only works with three. To change the subject, did you ever do stand up? 
I have done stand-up. And have you been doing much of it recently? No, I actually have been recently challenged to do a five-minute set, um, which I was going to do on Tuesday, but I had to work a Roadrunners game, and I know I could do it. Uh, just recently, I was talking about, um, I would do this bit where like, I think I'm an attractive person, but I know I'm ugly. And the reason why I know I'm ugly as opposed to what I think, like when you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, yeah, it's looking good. Mm-hmm. It's a face you see every day, right? And you groom it and everything to look the best you can look. And you're still looking and you're like, yeah, I look good. This is this is my level of beauty. This The definition of it is when I look in the mirror, that's a beautiful fucking thing. Um, but then who I get compared to by people. I've been getting compared to some really ugly motherfuckers for a long time. Right? And that's the reality check of like thinking that you're good looking and then like it started in high school. Um I hung out with a bunch of different friends from different schools. So there's different cliques, who knew different people. And this one school, I was like, "Oh, you you you're like twins with Bob, my buddy Bob. Yeah, it's so awesome. Like I can't even tell you guys apart." I'm like, "Oh, Bob must be a pretty cool motherfucker." Yeah, all right. <laughs> Bob, I yeah, I can't wait to meet Bob. That's going to be great. Um and they would say it. They they, they talked it up for months. Before I finally met Bob. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, this guy's probably getting got the, like one of the hottest girlfriends. Just living life, you know, because we're good looking people. I get it. And then I met Bob in person and I go, What the fuck? What the fuck is that? And he's like, What? Like I couldn't hide my disdain. I was like, there's no fucking way I look like this guy. And I felt bad in in hindsight. Because I'm yelling at this face, uh, yelling at this guy who I think is fucking really ugly and looks exactly like I do. (laughs) (laughs) And getting this throughout my life, I'm only, you know, not getting prettier as you get older. You know, it really depends on what you like. But I've been getting these uh, these, um, kind of comparisons all the time. And I would turn that into a stand-up bit. Like when I met Jim Brewer, when I was like 18, 19 years old, I lost a lot of weight. People thought I looked like Jim Brewer in Half-Baked. And he was Goat Boy in SNL. Right, yeah. Right? So they said I looked like him. Well, I actually got to have Jim Brewer on my show. He's in my living room. He's sitting on my couch right across from me. And I said, you know, actually, people, uh, they say that I look a lot like you. And the look of his offense on his face (laughs) is burned into my soul. He's like... Fuck you, man. Like, I just said that I fucked his mom. That was the look he gave me. He gave me such a disgusted look on his face. He could not hide it. He didn't say it. So wait, I mean, you're talking about the disconnect between how you see yourself and how other people see you. Yes. And obviously, it works in the other direction, right? There's people, uh, they call it like dysmorphia, where they see themselves negatively. Yeah, Uh Yeah, it's still, you know what? One way or another, it's still a disability. So my disability is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Where I look in, I think I look like fucking Dylan. <laughs> right, and people are like, no, you look like Paul Giamatti, and like, what the fuck? I, I, I got great compared actor. to Paul Giamatti. Exactly. My buddy's like, well, yeah, he's a great actor. I'm like, I wasn't fucking reading Shakespeare in the park. I was, I was breaking out a craps table, man. Like, this is, this is bullshit. <laughs> so. I, this is kind of related to that. I think there should be a service in L.A. for people that are feeling down in LA where they get sent to like some weird Midwestern town where they can feel like the cool Yes. Dude, you know, cause like you go to a, a Midwestern small little town as an LA person and all of a sudden you're the interesting person. That's where what happened LA, to me when I moved boring. to Flagstaff. Yeah. When I moved from Phoenix to Flagstaff, there's a difference between Phoenix hot and Flagstaff hot. <laughs> and um, I was fucking Flagstaff hot. I'm like mm. a Phoenix five on a good day. <laughs> Back when I was in my twenties. Um, I was a Flagstaff uh, nine. Somebody, I lived uh, life. somebody came up with this hoots that coined it the worldwide babe scale. 
It's Worldwide like, babe scale. Somebody was on, you know, was talking about the the different locales. I think uh, there's an opposite problem in LA. You just accept the goofy way that people present themselves and trying to make yeah, themselves. No, I don't, you just get so used to seeing people dressed in such funny ways with it looks like it's perpetual Halloween. No, I know, but know? what I'm saying, I'm not even talking about looks necessarily. Like every, everyone in LA is the quirky like cool kid I don't actually mean they're cool because most of them aren't actually cool right and they come to LA and then they walk around that's why you know Silver Lake is just filled with people like this right and in LA they're no they're nobodies because everybody's like that but give them two years in LA and then they're feeling sad because they're anonymous nobody in a big city and then there's a service that they can pay for where it's like a vacation to like Branson Missouri <laughs> where they get to like go back and be the cool quirky guy <laughs> where, where everyone's like oh what do you do and like, oh you I'm live in Los Angeles wow you're an actor no way. <laughs> in Missouri? <laughs> or you just, it doesn't need to be as elaborate as that. Just, you know, you hire someone to talk to and they just ask questions and they're like, yeah. they're very, very interested and, you know, intrigued. Like ego this is called a therapist. Ego that was, uh, we'll post a link to one of the, I, it was hard to tell how much of this article was real, but there was in, it was in, in the Atlantic. So it was a legitimate newspaper about, about actor services in Japan where they're real life actors, where, like, for example, there was a very wealthy. It was you have to be very wealthy to afford this, and a wealthy woman who had a daughter hired her, a father, and from an acting firm. And this guy, he one. This was one of the roles that he played. He played the role of father in this. You know, two but or three for years, years, right? Years on end. Years on end. They act in real life, and this guy, the the firm limited their roles to five roles. Like so, this guy could only play five people. So that he wasn't depriving the clients of time or whatever like that, but it was a fucking fascinating article. They showed about- this concept in uh, The Good Life on NBC. It was shown in there in, in South Park. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like you're you're seeing it more and more. Like that's the new reality. The Uber for drives will be Uber friends, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to Uber a friend for a couple hours. And uh, I'd probably sign up for that. I'd probably be one of the first. <laughs> Do pretty good. Five-star yeah. friend right here. I'll uh-huh. post a link to it. It's called the Booming Japanese Rent-A-Friend Business. And uh-huh. it's right. you know, basically actors will impersonate anyone you can think of. It's when you're a, seeing a it out there. Or a, the, the one thing was, the one of the examples was somebody hired somebody to uh, apologize to their boss because mm. they worked at a large corporation and they didn't interact with their boss and they did something wrong in their job. So they had to go, it was customary to go like make amends almost and they hired somebody to go apologize to their bus okay bus. i remember this now it's more they hire mourners also right yeah like yeah, for yeah. someone a death in the family they will hire professional mourners who come and cry at the funeral it's oh, like this wow. whole artificial well, i it's what's less fascinating is the people doing the hiring because that motivation seems relatively simplistic what is interesting to me is the person acting that's fascinating to me is the person who's living these false artificial lives right and just even in playing like a little girl's father there must be some automatic attachment that they develop that they have to then resist because they know it's gonna it's so bizarre i know that is tough being like a stepdad and stuff you see how that grows on you and Mm -hmm. stuff so yeah Yeah. that would be the same thing you're acting and you're method acting so that would be the toughest part of that right yeah yeah i mean you've been a stepdad yeah Yeah, yeah. stepdad. i don't really talk to her anymore but that's more of her uh my ex's decision and anything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, actually, I was in we, that. Let's get back to that a little bit because you said your daughter's about to turn 13. We don't have to get into any like personal details about no, your daughter, but I, I thought this is an interesting part about your life is that 
you were basically a single dad for yeah. a long time. And, you know, you talk about why you are such a hard worker. Like, obviously, you got a very early motivation. And yeah. So, like, that... We've noticed that about you. Because, like, yeah, Beef Vegan's crazy and you'll see him out and he'll get fucked up and drunk with you and tell you all these crazy stories. But we also know Beef Vegan that was up at 4 a.m. every morning right. working a job and then working another job and another job the night. So Yeah, I could only pull those crazy drunk nights like once every two weeks, and it's getting, <laughs> you know, few and farther in between there. Yeah, I had sole custody and stuff. It it drove, you know, it was definitely a driving factor. There's another thing, though, that's driving factor. It's kind of like a... Um, it's a mental illness of a sorts, you know? Like, I believe that because I was thinking about that not too long ago where, you know, I sometimes wish that I could just be like the car salesman have like a wife and kids and be happy with that and be content with that. Mm -hmm. And I, the truth is I can't, I've been on this path of wanting to be an entertainer and being able to connect with people, um, my entire life that I could remember. And I can't imagine doing anything else that would make me happy. And I can't live a nine to five because it'd be too mundane. It would drive me crazy. I have to entertain for whatever reason. And it's an illness to a certain extent because I could be with all my other friends that I grew up with living in a pink house with a, you know, a fucking quad and a razor and a boat. And then on the weekends, like drink Coors Light and get fucked up with them and, you know, um, have the same like wife and be cool with that. I can't do any of that. I have to be doing this and then you know and then balancing that with a personal life is the challenge because i don't i i um enjoy and lean towards the entertaining part more than i do the personal i think everyone i mean this is like not to say you're not a unique snowflake but <laughs> like this is the stereotypical particularly with comedians but with anybody i mean even us to a certain extent i think we've had a little more normalizing of a factor because we have it's a tight-knit family unit where right. there is a it's forced to keep things a little more grounded in that sense but it's that would be the ultimate sacrifice i think for the artist or the entertainer all the suffering they talk about right the real act the great act of art or suffering would be to actually just stop yeah that yeah, would be your true. great your tour de force would be for you to walk away and be content in any other life right. which I wish obviously Quentin Tarantino would do that yeah <laughs> but you know what I mean like because that is like it's a question we all think about we think about this fairly often you know like why is it like why do we care whether we have a successful music career because we could very happily make music yeah like it's so clearly it's not just about the music right and us. it's not just about the money because you have ways to make money too yeah you know <laughs> yes, well, dude. Money's well, good too. No, no, I, no. I wasn't thinking that. I yeah. was thinking like I don't know if we have other ways to make money. <laughs> right. That's actually. Uh, I you mean, figure I, it out. I, I know. I, I know. I could survive. I guess. Right. But I don't know if I have any discernible skills. But you're all in, and that's the thing. I became all in on this too, right? So like, it feels this like is we're all... all in. Yeah, it feels like we're all in. I I don't necessarily value that. I think you're. I think you're describing it more like a a, a mental illness, or it's more like your a fixation, or it's an attachment. It's right. a it's a bit like a dog chasing a ball. You know, it's it's. I don't necessarily attribute value to it. Yeah, but see, I, I think it's this. a weird thing you say that. Like when you say it's a mental illness, you don't mm -hmm. say it like if if someone said I have a mental illness and it's you know it's a, a schizophrenia or bipolar thing. No one says that proudly, right? Right. I'm not. I'm not saying they should be feel shameful for that. But 
in the same regard, you just said it's a mental illness for you. You said it was, it's like a badge of honor that right. yeah. us, quote, artists or comedians always say like a badge of honor when it actually is a mental illness. It's not a sane thing no. to be obsessed with what, or to be so fixated on any one aspect of life. Right. So it's not, I'm not saying there should be a shame associated with it, but it's something that you should realize. Well, question. Is a, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's not necessarily the best mode of behavior. Right. Well, I, it's every- been perpetuated by every for, forever as this kind of admirable thing this person who suffers for their art like you were talking about it with van gogh oh yeah you know if that happened in modern times go would not would be considered insane it wouldn't be valued yeah, yeah you you don't cut off your ear and send it to a boy. well i say That's it's crazy. mental illness for me because i've had all the great feelings and accomplishments i've gotten on this side i've sacrificed Great feelings and accomplishments on personal level on on the opposite yeah. end of the spectrum. So you, and you know, and it's and there's some things where it's just like, hmm, well, which one in hindsight? Well, I'll be like, eh, you know, you always the grass always greener on the other side of the fence if you don't know it. There you was know? A, they portrayed this really well in that show. I'm dying up here that these motherfuckers canceled, but there's a great uh, scene where one of the comedians decides to just kind of draw a line in the sand he decides he's going to be a family man right and, and walks away you know and not because he wasn't good and you know he's a successful guy on the cusp of making it but he's got a wife and a kid and he decides to walk away and i thought they portrayed that in that show so well because they showed someone who was actually content with the decision they showed right. someone that you know everyone would have their regrets oh i could have been a contender you know that sort of thing but there must be lots of people that do actually just make the decision to lead a normal life. I always heard about uh, to others, Rick, Moranis. Uh, Rick, Moran- Moranis. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis? Yeah. yeah. You know, from Didn't his, his wife got sick? His wife something? got sick, yeah. and he disappeared, and like all the tabloid papers are like they do about everyone. It's like, where'd he go? Why does he suck at life right. now? And then obviously the story came out much later that he, he just fucking chose his real life over yeah. it all. And, you know, obviously now they're spinning it. I'm not spinning it. Like now I've realized, like, oh, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always think of... Um, this uh, this is the only Kierkegaard I've ever read. It's a little quote on a website, <laughs> but he, he he says, "Marry and you'll regret it. Don't marry and you'll also regret it. Marry or don't marry, you'll regret either way. Laugh at the world's foolishness, you'll regret it. Weep over it, you'll regret that too, and so on and so on." He says, "Hang yourself and you will regret it. Do not hang yourself and you will regret it, and so on and so on." It's he's basically it's a no matter what you do, it's this perpetual exactly, yeah. especially for the Germans. <laughs> Smile, buddy. <laughs> well, I'd say I, I'd wear that as a badge of honor, though, too. Even though it is, you know, these the other gra- side of the fence, and you don't know what it would have been like, and it could be way worse than you romanticize it. But as far as getting back to the stand up thing, I said, yeah, I mean, I'll do another five minutes. I've done uh, close to 10 shows. I've bombed half of them, I've killed half of them. So I know both ends of the spectrums. My first time doing stand up, I did it in front of 600 people. Uh, I was That's and terrifying. I, I did that six times over. Uh, that was for Adam Carolla. I was only supposed to introduce him, right? And then I invited, I, I thought they invited me as a host. And I'm like, okay, I work with the Tempe Improv. I've seen the hosts. They're stand-up comedians as well. They do a couple jokes in between sets, and then they introduce the next guest. Got this. Mm-hmm. I could do this. I'll do stand-up for the very first time in front of Sold Out House. That's the way I like to do it. Um, so <laughs> I told my uncle. And uh, so he's like, I'll fly in from San Francisco. I'm like, cool. I <laughs> uh, told my dad, who was apparently dying at the time. He's still alive today. So he wasn't going to die as soon as everyone thought he was going to die. But it was, it was my dying dad at the time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, cool, I'll go with your uncle. So then, like, right before the show, 
they got wind. The Adam Kroll's manager, Mike, got wind that I was going to do some stand-up and that I wasn't a stand-up. <laughs> and so he emailed me. He's like, hey, beef buddy. Uh, yeah, you know, for this intro thing, we just really need you to go up there and intro. Uh, just say, you know, here's Adam. And I'm like, cool, yeah, no problem. In my head, I'm like, still going to do it. <laughs> I've already committed to doing stand-up, and this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it on your time. Um, nobody listens to my show anyways. It was at the time. It was 2010. I had, like, maybe 10 listeners, right? So my opening of my stand-up set, uh, as I do, it was like, uh, you know, uh, I'm on the radio. By round of applause, how many people have heard of KWSS? And nobody. And this happened six times over, 600 people pop, right? Um, and then I, I, I would go, well, you know, Adam was on radio, and of course, uh, he's not the only radio person in the house. How many people have you heard? Uh, how many people here have heard of John Jam Rich? And then everyone would clap. And I'm like, well, they're not here, so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you got me, right? So that's how I did Who's that. John Jam Rich. They're a pop things right so they do a station on kiss of them um a show on kiss of them so i did it they told me not to i went out my very first time i bombed hardcore i was telling a story about uh taking a picture of my dick and doing the godzilla effect trying to make it look as big as possible uh <laughs> it was a long story that if it hits it hits and if it misses it whiffs right yeah and then you're stuck in this story and so i got this red light flashing at me i don't know what the fuck that means uh, that's the wrap it up light. Uh, I got this flashing at me like the entire time, and I'm just up there with nobody. I got Jimmy Kimmel's parents in studio uh, or in the audience, you know, his grandmother. And I'm like making eye contact with Jimmy Kimmel's grandmother and like talking about taking a picture of my dick, and she's not laughing. No one else is laughing. It was horrifying. And then I get off stage and I get grabbed by the manager immediately, the manager of the improv. And he pulls me aside and he's like, what the fuck was that? No. You're like, you don't do that. You don't get blue. Like an opening act doesn't get blue. You were told not to do stand-up. What the fuck were you thinking? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, talked to Adam a little bit after that. Then the next show came around. We're doing two shows a night. And they're like, okay, don't do it. Don't do it. You just go up there and introduce them. Like, Got it. I go up there and I'm like. So I'm on KWSS, but a round of applause. <laughs> and I did it again, and I kept doing it, and I did it every single time. And some of them I did well, and some of them I didn't. And um, because I already committed to it, and I knew that it was already a shit show and a, and a car accident, train wreck, whatever you call it. And I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down in fucking flames, but I'm going to have the story to tell about it, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, not only did I make such an impression that I had great stories that next week in radio, but I left an impression with Adam, who still remembers me to this day. Uh, he talked about me on his podcast a bunch, and this was before Joe Rogan's podcast and everyone else. Yeah, yeah, he, he was, was the top was, dog. Yeah, and we were podcasting at the time. And after he fucking talked about us, our podcast blew up. And I was getting 10,000 uh, hits a week and more just <laughs> off of that. And it got so much, the podcast, because I was getting all these big-name comedians who all have a podcast today in studio to talk with them free form for an hour podcast style and that my podcast was getting so big i couldn't afford it i couldn't afford to stream it and we stopped doing the podcast and yeah, I, I remember that. that that was a real shame yeah. at the time because now i think it's gotten so much cheaper Jeez, yeah, to and there just was probably to host be before things. like patreon and yeah way before that, that way before patreon about. you could have you could have 
yeah. immediately said, hey, guys, this is, you know, it's growing, but I need some funds to, you know, afford some equipment and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I was doing the podcast style of conversation and I have good conversation with comedians because I've always, uh, you know, considered myself one in a way. Um, and, and that's why it makes me feel confident that if I wanted to do stand up like this five minute set mm. that a, I've talked to enough comedians and I've kind of, you know, been able to see what they're about and know that I'm funnier than most of them I talk to and I'm fucked up enough to be good at it. <laughs> so it's like, you could say, okay, yeah, yeah, you think you're funny, blah, blah. And yeah, I know I'm funny and I know I'm fucked up enough and I know me being fucked up enough will make me funny enough to be able to do what you do if you're a stand-up comedian. But I you see, there's it. a difference when you, when you say this, I don't, I, I don't think you're wrong, but there are a lot of people that say they think they could be a stand-up comedian because they make their friends laugh at a party. Like you've been, I mean, you've been doing radio for however many years. So you've, now it's you've like, been yeah, talking to an audience. You've you've learned the back and forth, the feeling of the timing of a joke. And, and I and did all it that. at nightclub, and I did it at school cafeterias, yeah. and I did it at shows. Like I've been doing it my entire life, just in different forms. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you still yeah. probably would go up and bomb a You're, bunch of. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what everyone does. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really uh, have that desire to have that kind of ego destroying feeling. Um, it's so painless though that's what? what you get like after my first one that I bombed that first show and it didn't matter because I had so many shows I had to do in that first weekend with Adam in front of a huge crowd that the wasn't the bombing my is crowd. painless? it is painless at while the end it's of the happening day. or afterwards? that first while it was happening the first time Fucking incredibly painful. It sucked. Every second, like, stretched out, like, into an hour. <laughs> I couldn't get off that stage, but I was still stuck in the story. And I remember that feeling, and I was miserable. But uh -huh. I craved those feelings. I crave feeling miserable sometimes. But then after I got done with it, I'm like, oh, that's over with. I got the adrenaline rush. Right. And but I'm that like... Sounds, I mean, that's how gamblers talk. Like, I never realized this about gambling. Like, you, people always think gambling addiction has got to do with, like, the winning. Right, But no. then... I had a bad weekend in Vegas, and like bad for me is like a couple hundred dollars, not some baller thing. But where, still, like, it hurts. But that feeling where you're like, oh, this is why they get excited by this because it's an exciting feeling losing more than you wanted to lose. Yeah, and you you go, oh shit, this is actually the weird in a weird way what people and get still attached alive. to. That's why uh -huh. I got yeah. cured of yeah. any kind of you know I like poker and all that kind of stuff, and I got cured because we went to Vegas and I just lost. Money consistently and extremely slowly. It was so boring. <laughs> yeah, that I like never losing money. twenty dollars every but, hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, beef is one of those guys. You have these stories where you just like you hustle, you break down doors, like you go up and you, you, you do six nights of five minutes when you were told not to even do one. Yeah, which you know, end like, up being like over an hour. You don't hear those stories that, that often of people that are just so you know ambitious that they're gonna just say fuck you to anyone that gets in their way and just try to get through the door and, it, and it's worked out in a lot of situations I'm sure you've had a lot of situations where it's just been still like still getting right. there yeah <laughs> I don't know I mean I but still have some uh, dogged some grudges, but, yeah. um, it's rare that those stories still exist I think it's it's funny and it's cool to you know to hear that type of it's thing. a mix of shit though you know, like it's a mix of not being afraid to fail but the sick thing is it's almost like wanting to fail, mm. right? Like when I used to write songs, you know, like I wrote from a depressed state of mind. I was, I was, that's where I got creative. So then I would inadvertently, uh, subconsciously or consciously put myself in situations of, of pain and distress to, so I could feel that, you know, dark emotion so I could write. And that was my excuse to write, to be an artist and a poet and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And in a way it's like, since I chased that, 
than going and failing and, and feeling like a jack-off, like everyone in the room thinks I'm an idiot for like an hour, is a miserable feeling to a certain extent. It's a negative feeling, and I'm still like, there it is. And, and is, then it, is, the, is part of that, um, the flip side of that feeling is that you have gone through the embarrassment and it's the relief of, having over, of being beyond it? It's this, and it's what it's indicative of is that oh I can't I can stomach this you know and I can get onto the other side of it where no it's you, still selfish because I still get rewarded because when I would make myself depressed to write songs I would write songs and I would reward myself with writing a song when I uh, make myself if I fail in a situation and I got a story if I epically fail I got a good story you right. know and I'm rewarding myself with that story right. if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger kind of thing. Sure, yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah, I mean, and I have the most important... I always think it's, it's almost mecha- it's like the mechanics of emotion, that if you if you go, if you plummet to some sort of uh, depth of despair or embarrassment, and it's not driven by something which is sustained, like, you know, real grief or mourning or whatever, then on the other side of that is a degree of elation that yeah. must necessarily must follow. You see, I don't... I don't for the weekend. <laughs> I, I don't like think similar. I've ever really experienced right. this in that way, like... I write best when I'm happy and it's a nice morning and I've got a nice cup of coffee. And I, like the, ultimately, I'm sure songs come from similar places. Uh-huh. But I don't know if that's true, though. You write different stuff in different... No, no, I write... I, I genuinely don't... I mean, all my songs are sad songs, ultimately. I think mm. like most of our sad songs. So I'm not saying I don't have... That that's not necessarily where the songs come from, ultimately. But if I'm actually in a sad or depressed state of mind... I I don't I rarely if ever like oh I'm gonna go sit at the piano and see what I can get out of this. So you write mm. when you're happy and it translates into sad. No, I think I, it's it's like I, I it's I'm just saying it's like a time dif- it's a delay there's period a, or something. There's yeah. a bit of that that's stored in you for yeah. you know for a later time. But I think it's a it's a worthwhile exercise when you if you are in a state of uh, you know depression or sadness or whatever it is um, that it's probably the most undesirable thing is to go do something like no, I just do yoga now. or whatever you know <laughs> yeah. but but if you go and do that you'd be surprised you know about what comes out of it but I think that it's the feeling that you get from failing I can attribute to like I also I've never experienced that type of kind of um, ego bruising of you know bombing in front of 600 people right. but you get it on a very minor scale if you just try to go hit on girls oh yeah you know, if you're trying to hit on a girl and you get denied uh it's a it's a good feeling because your fear going into it, and most people have this, whether they admit it or not, they have this fear going into it that they're going to be rejected, and it's right. your ego is just being, you know, it's so puffed up thinking that you 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 know you're the shit, and then you get rejected, and the feeling of having your ego just knocked down a little bit, it's a good feeling. It's like, oh, I can actually handle this. So my ego is not actually that important. It's not that puffed up. Right. I think that's um, what my problem. That's why I've just. That's what makes and me good at dating, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I date like a champ, you know? Like, I'm the ultimate <laughs> wingman on that stuff. And and people always, like, were saying, how can you even pull these girls, you know? Because it goes back to how I look. And it's the not fear of failing. Yeah. A lot of these girls just want to have a conversation. Just yeah, confidence, right? Maybe the way you see yourself is also the way you see the girls. So maybe you... Maybe, well, you're just, you maybe you just see girls. the best in people. You would see some of my girls and those girls, too, in all <laughs> fairness, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you ever got so drunk that um, you hook up with an ugly girl and you wake up in the morning and she's actually better looking? 
<laughs> that's I've been there. That's crazy. You're like how it's reverse beer goggles. I wasn't expecting that when you ever, when you said you ever got that drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should say why like Jesse's not just sitting silent on this whole subject. I know he's so he offended by beef. He's just sitting across the room, just staring at beef with a really dark or you know evil. We're, eye. No, we're actually we're recording this podcast in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We came back here for. Now, you said this last minute. Yeah, we, well, we just decided last minute we weren't. We I think our parents were going to come out to L.A. for Thanksgiving, but it, it got flipped around, so we kind of drove out here. Yeah, last I think it's minute. better. Yeah, it's so better. yeah, Jesse's got is taking care of Eve, his daughter. She's running yeah. around like a mad. You get to see all the family and person. hang out in the compound and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's got to be a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. This is the first uh, time it's felt like coming home. Um, you know, like what other people talk about when they go home for Thanksgiving, or yeah. they go home for the holidays, or whatever. This is the first time it's felt like that. So it's. I think that's great. It's great yeah. for your parents too. So they don't need to just keep traveling all over the place. Yeah, no, you know, make it easy. No, they Come here, make, a, make them dinner anyway. and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mom was elated, so it was great. <laughs> yeah. It was good to see that. Yeah, they traveled. To South Africa is a whole mission of a trip. <laughs> yeah, just even doing it, having to still have to do that is ridiculous. Yeah. You know. I couldn't imagine. I just do the hour and a half drive, and it seemed that that seems like a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Geez. But that's just well, that's because Tucson's in a different dimension. Yeah, it's a weird town. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we've we've never had a good experience in Tucson. <laughs> you would if I got to be host KFMA. Well, yeah, like we are. Uh, we're, we're definitely. We talk about it all the time trying to actually do a show in I Tucson. To, now uh, that you're there's there, there's a baker down there. I've never got to try his bread, but he makes. Barrio bread. It looks like the best bread. Yeah. You know what? Like, they talk about it being a food town. When I first moved down there, I'm like, what are you guys talking about? All you know is you bacon wrap everything. Like, you don't, you're not foodies. Um, and then, after like two years, it started opening up to me. And I started to get all those places. I'm like, oh my fucking God. Yeah, like, some of the best food I've ever had in my life in town, in places that look at it are strip malls. You're like, there's no way this is going to be anything uh. better than decent. Mm-hmm. And just mind-blowing combinations of food. I had a carne asada deep dish pizza. That is the best thing I've ever had in my life. It's <laughs> so good. Use them from the local carniceria from a guy named Rocco. Rocco's Pizza and Chicago-style deep dish and the way that he added these ingredients, which made it localized with his influences, made this whole other thing that... Uh. He can only do it as a special because he can't keep up with the demand. So he'll do it like twice a year for a month because he doesn't want to be bogged down slinging that much carne asada pizza. Yeah, you know, we we talk a lot of shit about American food, I feel like, on this podcast. Really, it's the British that deserve it. Yeah, yeah, gastro pumps. Yeah, yeah, what America is, I guess, like every, it's it's every aspect of America is the melting pot, like the, it's the mashup. Yes. And that's what makes it so great because, like, yes, you can go get great Italian food or great Mexican food in Mexico, but you never, no one would ever mash them up. No. Except for something like that. Exactly. And they get that influence, so good, you know. But at first, I'm just like, oh, they're obsessed with pork. Like, everything's bacon-wrapped. And I've never had pork belly until I went to Tucson, and now I have it all the time. Yeah, but bacon-wrapped was one of those, it's it's like... Every year, there's some new thing that everyone's going to do. Like, right now, we're Brussels going through the sprouts, Brussels sprouts yeah. with balsamic well, vinegar, yeah. which right. is, like, yeah. it's nice, but doesn't... I'm telling you, Tucson did it first, man. They did. They started with their hot dogs, and they didn't stop. They're just, like, fucking everything's better with, with bacon, and it's such a bacon-rich town. It's, like, it's obscene. <laughs> You're like, come on. I've been to Bacon Fest. They got Bacon Fest down there. I'm probably, uh, probably in the minority here, but I, I cannot stand the smell of any pig cooking. Right, yeah, you are in the minority. Yeah. Well, not in this room. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, because I mean, I'm vegetarian. I like the smell of bacon. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it yeah, smells don't. gross to me. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I've had some scotches salt. that taste like bacon. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a lot of you get the really smoky, uh, peaty scotches from certain areas. Yeah. It's the fats. There's a lot of natural it's the bacon fats left. Scotch. <laughs> it's <mean>? beef <laughs> squeezing bacon fat like in my it. scotch. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee there's cocktails like that too, especially in Tucson. Yeah. Like you want some big fat? Huh? I had a beef broth cocktail uh, down there for a competition. It's like a forty, fifty dollar cocktail. It was good. Jeez. Tasted super brothy. Um, huh. But it was like a Manhattan. Not everything needs to be put bone together. marrow, like yeah, bone right, marrow yeah. and all the uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah that, mm. I don't. Yeah, I don't need to pay forty or fifty dollars for that. <laughs> no, no, I got it for free. Luckily, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't have uh, been able to report on that. Have you tried Mountain Dew Red? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh it's, no, it's Code Red. Sorry, yeah, yeah, it's it's Code, code Red. red. Yeah, that's, I drink that with a pinky out. <laughs> Listen, I think we should wrap it up. Because yeah, what, we have two hours? We're, we're going to wrap it up. It's a bacon. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's not our longest podcast ever, but it's close. close. Traditional length of a 90s movie. Yeah. That's good. I think we bookended it pretty good, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what's next, you ask? Well, <laughs> well, let's wrap it up with uh, just a few announcements, as I am the corporate sponsor of today's uh, podcast. Doing good, too. Thank you. Uh, new single, out tomorrow. Listen to it. Pay for the weekend. Uh, we're going on tour. Go to congress.com slash shows. Um, if you don't want to pay the $2, or, I mean, if you don't want to listen to the advertisement, uh, go to our Patreon and pay $2 a month. And then, Beef, where can we find you? Uh, you can Google Beef Vegan. There's only one. And then it'll lead you all roads to me. I'm on klpx.com uh, for the world-famous Frank Show, my Beef Vegan page. And all that stuff YouTube. is listed on your website. Yeah, just Googling Beef Vegan. Like, again, you'll see that. Plus some links to awards or whatever. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> if you want to read about awesomeness, then you can try that too. <laughs> so, yeah, Google is the easiest. I guess that is the easiest thing now. They, yeah. Like, no one remembers websites or this. They just remember a name and then go Google it. Yeah, I give you yeah. seven different things, but there's only, you know, one Beef Vegan, which is right. nice. And here's you know, what I think. Change it. I think that it's a very fortuitous timing that we got beef on this podcast that we're premiering pay for the weekend because look I'm not I'm going to make silly predictions like this song's going to number 1 but we all feel really good about this song and I think once you guys uh, listen to it you're going to enjoy it too but I know it just it felt like there's something in there's something in this song that's going to hopefully be a spearhead for this this whole next push that we're doing so I'm glad Beef was here because Beef was at the very, very, very beginning. Well, I'm glad to be a part of a new beginning as well. So, you know, onward and upward. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. And we'll see you. We'll do this again. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse, for (laughs) hanging out for half of it. (laughs) He'll never hear that, but, you know, it's good. (laughs) All right. See you guys. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.